The fall classic commences tomorrow. I'll preview the Phillies and Astros as they battle it out to see who will be this year's World Series champion. Also, there's already chatter about where Aaron Judge may go, and is LA a serious destination? I'll take a look at the schedule for NFL Week 8 and College Football Week 9 as both sports close out the month. What have we learned about the first week in the NBA and a new Ironman in the NHL? The sun is close to setting on another week and month in our lives and the sports world with plenty to dive into. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, getting ready to wrap up another week and month as we're almost a couple of months away from a new year. Seriously? Where does the time go, I tell you, people? Even more the reason to value what's important, especially time, because as we all know too well, once it's gone, it doesn't come back. And if it's not your first time entering this space... I'm glad you've come back to listen to some hard-hitting, fast-paced sports talk. And if this is your maiden voyage on the J Reels podcast, welcome aboard. As I'll entertain, inform, and perform as we take a trip around the sports landscape to keep you abreast of all that's going on. And again, for those who have been on this trip before, whether from the very beginning, I welcome you guys and gals back. Here we go. Lots to cover as we kick it off with the World Series Commencing tomorrow night, finally, it seems like the AL and NLCS completed about a month ago. But game one, first pitch, 8.03 p.m. down at Minute Maid Park between the Philadelphia Phillies and Houston Astros. And before I even get to a breakdown of the series, how it may play out, my prediction, etc. Some key storylines as we enter into this weekend where the schedule is back to normal. You don't have to worry about having to play games one and two, travel day, and then to run it through, if it happens to go seven games, you're going to have the first two Friday and Saturday down in Houston with a day off Sunday, reconvene back on Monday in Philadelphia where you'll have three straight games with a game five if necessary, with a day off on Thursday, and then next Friday and Saturday 
of course, if necessary, where the series will conclude down in Houston and hopefully it will extend that far where we'll get into the latter part of next week and see who will be crowned as World Series champions for 2022. When we take a look at these two teams, actually they played not too long ago. In fact, the final series of the 2022 regular season was down in Houston where the Phillies did visit. The Astros won two out of three. Actually, the back two of that series to conclude the regular season. And to think, since that time, you have to go back to October 3rd was when the last time that the Astros lost because since then, they have not missed a beat. They had won seven in a row in the postseason, the two games at the tail end of the regular season. And since that time, which spans what? 24 days, because today is October 27th, they have not lost a game. And they're going to kick off tomorrow night, wondering if they could continue that streak to 10 games and have this unprecedented run of consecutive playoff wins. The regular season, as we know, doesn't count, but you want to carry that into the equation where, to think, their season ending in the regular season is going to be bookended by playing the same team. So that's storyline number one. In that game, funny enough, that the Astros lost before going on the streak, Aaron Nola had pitched a perfect game into the seventh inning in where the Phillies did win. Now, Aaron Nola is going to be your game one starter tomorrow night, and the Phillies figured that let's put Zach Wheeler, give him an extra day off, have him start game two down in Houston. So now Nola, let's see if he could carry any of that magic that he had in his right arm on that Monday night. October the 3rd, to see if that could translate to maybe not another perfect performance. You know the Phillies would sign up for that in a heartbeat, but let's see if Nola could piggyback off of that performance in that ballpark on that mound to where they get themselves off to a good start here in this World Series. But then you also have to think back when we look at the history between these two teams, especially in the postseason, we could look back at 1980, that classic playoff series that where it went five games at NLCS, Four of the games, including the final four of that LCS to where it went extra innings, including that classic game five, where the Astros had a 5-2 lead going into the top of the eighth to where the Phillies scored five runs to make it 7-5, only for the Astros to score two in the bottom of the eighth to make it seven up. And then in the 10th inning, that's where the Phillies took the lead, made it 8-7, and they concluded an epic five-game series to the tune of a 3-2 series win. And as we all know, the Phillies went on to win the World Series over the Kansas City Royals that year. So I'm sure you're going to see some clips and some highlights of that, more likely in Game 1 or maybe in the pregame show, because that was a classic series. And remember, back in those days, the NLCS was a best of five, up until 1985 when they expanded to seven games. So that's going to be one thing when you look at the history books and how they'll circle back to that series, how epic it was, how classic it was, even though a lot of the people out there probably aren't familiar with that. You have to be of a certain age, of course, but you're going to see highlights of that series, I'm sure, probably within the first game. And then you can look at the individual storylines, whether it's Dusty Baker, him being the biggest one of all. We know his track record. We know his resume. He's been down this road before. Obviously, last year, having an opportunity to go up against the Braves, and that foiled. Of course, the Braves was a team Dusty played for when he broke into the major leagues back in the late 60s. And to throw this in there, he was, I believe, on deck for the record-breaking home run set by Hank Aaron, April 8, 1974. 
So there was a little bit of a tie there, and a lot of people were, were hoping that Dusty would finally get over the hump to win a World Series, considering he was there in 0-2 as a member of the Giants, and we know what happened there. Taking the ball from Russ Ortiz in a Game 6, up 5 nothing in the 7th inning, and it imploded right in front of his eyes to where the Angels came back, won that game, and then won in Game 7 behind John Lackey, of all people. Then the following year, when he left San Francisco to go to Chicago to be the manager of the Cubs, the famous... Bartman game, another game six in championship series history to where the foul ball, infamous or famously that it happened on the left field line with Moises Alou and how the Cubs lost a game six as well as a game seven. Later on when he was a member of the Reds as he managed that team to the postseason and he lost to the Giants where he was up two games to love in the division series and they got swept in Cincinnati, mind you. 2-0 series lead, leaving San Francisco, and then that just all of a sudden turned on its ear. And all these opportunities that he's had, even as a member of the Nationals when he was a manager there, taking those teams to the postseason and not being able to get over the hump. And although he won as a player on the 81 Dodger team where he was foiled by the Yankees in 77 and 78, but as a manager, he's never been able to get to the promised land. He's never been able to get to the mountaintop. And now he's just four wins away from getting there. And with an upstart Philly team that has a storyline in its own right, first time in the World Series since 2009 when they lost to the Yankees, haven't won a title since 2008, the year before that, when they beat the Tampa Bay Rays in five. And for this team, even this city, that's going through just a crazy sports time, whether it's the Eagles and the hot start that they've gotten themselves off to, 6-0, the only undefeated team in the sport. I know on the flip side of that, the Sixers are getting off to a terrible start with the an 0-3 beginning, but here it is, the Phillies, where a lot of the fan base is rabid, a lot of the fan base is salivating and thirsting and even hungering for another opportunity to win a World Series, and you know they're going to represent come Monday night, whether... Down 0-2, tied 1-1, or dare I even say up to 0 in the series. That in itself is going to be a big storyline as to how that city is going to respond hosting a World Series for the first time in 13 years. And then you have Rob Thompson, the manager, how he had to come in midseason, really about a third of the way into the season, where Joe Girardi, who a lot of people thought was going to be the right guy for that job, to take Philadelphia to a World Series deep into a postseason and of course that didn't work out and here's Rob Thompson a guy who was the interim manager and then was extended for two years because of his success and now he's on the biggest stage that baseball could ever have knowing that he could be the guy to lead this team to a World Series championship and then you have Bryce Harper as I mentioned on the podcast Monday a guy that has been on the cover of Sports Illustrated since 16, a guy that a lot of people thought that was going to be the face of baseball over the course of his career. And mind you, baseball is a different sport, unlike the NBA or even the NFL for that matter. And we've talked about marketing certain players in Major League Baseball to where you can't get away or even shake the face, the image, the style of a one Bryce Harper. And now... He has finally made it to the point where after 10 years in the big leagues and leaving Washington as a free agent the year before they went to and won a World Series, now he's here and you know he wants to set the world on fire knowing that it is his time, it is his moment, 
and he's going to do whatever it takes, albeit as a DH and not a right fielder, to get his team that brass ring. And of course, with two MVPs in his back pocket in the regular season, not to say that he's probably focused on trying to win a World Series MVP, but he knows in order for his career to be complete, and he still has, what, 10 more years left on his contract, at least nine, having a World Series at this stage of his career right now would certainly be the cherry on the top of the Sunday. As for the series itself, we know the Astros have just steamrolled, as I've chronicled here, not only throughout the back end of those two games in a regular season, which were meaningless when you think about it, but considering that they have not lost, if you want to say they have a nine-game winning streak, we all know that it's been seven in a row after sweeping the Mariners, especially in the way they did in that game one with Jordan Alvarez hitting that three-run walk-off homer in game one of the division series. And then obviously what took place after that, the 18-inning marathon in Seattle to win the division series and then the sweep of the Yankees here, which now has them rested, prepared, and ready to take off to finally win a World Series, which is another storyline when you think about it, knowing that 2017 you had the cheating scandal, they've made it back to a World Series in 2019 where they couldn't win a home game and they had home field to where the Nationals won in seven, and then last year, as we talked about earlier, losing to the Braves in how they did in six games. And this is their time as well, as much as it is for Bryce Harper, for even Philadelphia for that matter. But I would think the Astros knowing all that is in their rearview mirror, especially 2017, but this would really cement them as a team of the last five, six years. Six ALCS appearances, four pennants, one World Series, but can they make it too? And then you have the Phillies with everything that I mentioned about the managerial change as well as their road here to the World Series winning in St. Louis with a six-run ninth inning that pretty much propelled them on this quest, on this Magic Carpet ride that set the stage for them to win the next night in St. Louis and then to upend the NL East leading and defending World Series champion Braves in four games. And then, of course, with the Padres that they disposed in five games, splitting in San Diego and then sweeping in Philadelphia. And how I look at this series, it's tough not to pick the Astros because of what they've endured over the last five years and even more so over the last couple of years with Dusty Baker being at the helm I know a lot of that team is still together, even with Correa, even with George Springer, and to a certain extent, Garrett Cole, but more so Correa and Springer, who were part of that championship fabric five years ago. And even though you still have key components of that championship team that are still there, whether your name is Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, Justin Verlander, those are the key pieces that were part of that championship team then that are hoping to bridge to this team this year. And even with a Philly team that has been on just a very hot stretch and a streak that they hope to continue to stay hot and stay warm to at least come back to Philadelphia with a split. And the Philly lineup, which is formidable, and I think it's probably just as dangerous as the Astro lineup. And even with Nola and Wheeler going games one and two where you'll have Nola in Game 5, and then Wheeler back down in Houston, if necessary, for Game 6. And we know about the Astro pitching. 
But the bullpen of the Astros, I think, when it's all said and done, is going to be the one focal point that we're going to look at to see whether or not they're going to win a World Series. And that's not to say the Philly bullpen isn't important. Now, we've seen the Philly bullpen do exceptionally well here over the course of this postseason. And I'm sure even the most dying-the-wool optimistic Philly fan will still hold their breath when Sir Anthony Dominguez comes in, when Jose Alvarado comes in, and then where Zach Eflin will come in, knowing that those guys aren't going to be lockdown automatics. And of course, you can't say that about any pitcher this side of Mariano Rivera. But if you're a Philly fan, you have to know that you're going to have to get into that bullpen at some point because Nola, Wheeler, or even any pitcher for that matter, is not going to carry you for seven or eight innings, or dare I even say nine innings, for a complete game where you're going to put the bullpen on ice for one night. And we know about the Astro bullpen, although they don't have a lefty, and that could be dangerous considering the lineup that the Phillies have when you're looking at a guy like Kyle Schwarber or, of course, Bryce Harper. Those are guys that, as we all know, could burn you. But like I said, they have a lot of length in that lineup with JT Real Muto, Reese Hoskins, Gene Segura, Nick Castellanos, a very solid, if not spectacular, lineup. And we know who the Astros are going to put up there as well as far as the aforementioned Bregman, Altuve, who has been ice cold in this postseason, although we got a few hits in the final couple of games against the Yankees. We know about Jordan Alvarez, of course. Kyle Tucker, a very resourceful and good player. So when we take a look at the lineups, I think the Phillies have an advantage slightly over the Astros. The starting pitching, slight edge to the Astros as well. And the bullpen, I think, a significant edge for Houston. What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? As we all know, you still have to play the games. You still have to play defense. We know the Phillies aren't a great defensive team. I think the Phillies are going to be a live dog here. I think it's going to be a series that if it is 1-1 going back to Houston, chances are Houston could come out of that going back to Houston up 3-2. But I think it's important they have to win one of these first two games because you know Houston's going to get at least one game in Philadelphia I don't think Philly's going to look at it if they're down 0-2 going back to Philadelphia that, oh, we're going to sweep here. I could see them winning two games. A sweep, highly unlikely. And I understand we've seen strange things happen. Just look at the 2019 World Series where the road team won every game. And sometimes strange things happen. The bounce of a ball, an error, a cheap home run, whatever it may be that could turn the fortunes of a game. But I think when it's all said and done, the Astros will be victorious. I know a lot of people are picking them in six. And I want to stick with that, but I want to be a little bit different. I think the Astros are going to win in five. And the only reason why I say that is because for as much as Philadelphia has been on this quest and this magic carpet ride, as I like to say, Houston, I think they're going to be not only just as hungry, but... They know their way around these parts. And I'm sure they're going to look back to even just last year where the Braves split those first two games before going back to Atlanta and then actually took a 3-1 series lead before Houston won game five. And I would think that Dusty Baker, for however he wants to throw some motivation or certain tactics at his team, but I'm sure the message has already been sent that If we do take a series lead, up one love, 
we got to go up two love because at worst, we're coming back to Houston even down 3-2. And I would think that that message is going to ring true to a lot of those players in the locker room knowing that even if they win game one, they want to continue to put the foot on the necks of the Phillies. And then to win two out of three in Philadelphia, not out of the question, even with that crowd, even as rabid as they're going to be. But I would still think when it's all said and done, I'm going to pick the Astros in five. I think they'll win in six if I was a betting man, and I'm not. But I'm picking Houston to win the World Series in five games. And with that said, that's going to be your baseball season where the day after that is going to be free agency unlike years past where I believe it used to be 10 days after the World Series. Free agency begins and then you have that whole frenzy as to who's going to go where, so on and so forth. Which is a good segue because once the World Series is over, whenever that may be, the free agency period is going to begin, I believe, 24 hours right after that. And there's already been reports out of MLB.com and a couple of other areas, I'm sure out of LA, where Aaron Judge is already rumored that LA is going to maybe not put a full court press on the soon-to-be free agent, but they're also thinking about taking their current right fielder and a guy that they traded for and signed to a, what, $365 million contract and a one Mookie Betts, how they're thinking of moving him to the infield to play second base. And if you're a baseball fan, I'm sure that's got to aggravate you because do the Dodgers actually need Aaron Judge? Absolutely not. But then the real reason why anybody could be incensed because not only is just LA possibly being a destination for Judge, and we know he's from Northern California, but obviously if the Dodgers are going to flirt with the idea of bringing him on board, where not only do you have Mookie Betts with his big payday, Freddie Freeman, of course, he's also a guy that just was signed to a $160 million contract. And the payroll of the Dodgers, which is one of the top two or three in the sport, and how it will probably surpass the Mets unless Steve Cohen says, hold my beer. It's not even just the fact of L.A. courting him, or rumored to be courting him, but it's the fact that the Yankee season was over 48 hours. And you couldn't even get to the World Series without hearing anything about, oh, well, LA's going to go full in and full bore on trying to see if they could pluck the Yankee right fielder to go from the East Coast to the West Coast to wear Dodger blue and hold the 99 jersey with the blue and white LA Dodger baseball cap. I mean, seriously? Are we that thirsty to dredge up a story or to get some sort of source to say, yes, we're going to pursue Aaron Judge, once free agency begins? I'm not going to say I find that hard to believe, but wow. I was really appalled to think that these reports are already out considering that they just lost Sunday night after getting swept by the Astros. It's almost like the girlfriend who was jilted by the boyfriend, so she's broken up. So then the next guy comes in within a day or so to say, hey, is everything all right? Well, you know what? I'm here for you. I'll do whatever it takes. They couldn't even let it breathe by the time the last pitch was thrown where Aaron Judge grounded out to Ryan Presley to end the ALCS before the Dodgers came swooping in with a bunch of roses and candy almost on bended knee to say, hey, 
will you take this offer to be a part of the LA Dodgers, in essence, to be married for the next eight, nine, ten years, or whatever the contract will be when it's all said and done? And you know Judge is going to be a lightning rod here in this offseason. Not that he's going to attract that, him personally, because we know he's a good guy. We know he's a class guy. But because of what he did this year, and I said this before, and I'll say it one last time, he's still going to get an enormous payday. But you do have to look at what he did in October here as a little bit of a caveat. But I understand it's not about just him performing in October, even though the grand scheme of things, that's what it's all about because that's what you're going to pay Judge for. But we know he's box office, we know he's marketable, we know he's everything that a franchise could ever imagine about having a guy like that on your team. But damn, could you at least wait to the end of the World Series before LA could throw their name in the hat and start getting themselves involved as far as signing Judge to a long-term contract? Anyway, so that's what I got there, and we'll wait to see what's going to happen with LA or even San Francisco or some of the other teams that may be in on the Aaron Judge sweepstakes, including the Yankees. And I'm going to touch on this quick because I know on Monday I had a whole commentary on what the Yankees should do this offseason, but there are a couple of things I want to mention quickly about that. There were reports over the last few days, and of course unnamed on top of that, so you don't know who can you attach this story to. But there were reports that Players, through their agents, had come out and say how disgruntled these players were about what took place at Yankee Stadium over the weekend where it was unusual to hear the fan behavior not being supportive of the team. And I can understand you look at that game Saturday in particular to where Garrett Cole, who did not pitch well, though he hung in there, but was pulled for Luis Trevino and how the fans may have booed then. And even throughout the course of the entire postseason even in the Cleveland series where the fans were booing Aaron Judge after strikeout after strikeout after strikeout and even on Saturday coming up in spots where he struck out where the fans were booing how the players couldn't understand what this guy did throughout the course of the regular season how they were able to boo in October and how that even put a damper not only on the players there but also wanting to play there knowing that the fans weren't in full support, considering that this guy carried the entire team on his back in all likelihood to an MVP in the American League for the regular season? And do the players have a point? They do. But this is New York. New York is all about winning. It's not about making the playoffs. It's not about winning a round. It's not about even winning a pennant. Although that helps because it gets you to the World Series. It's about winning the whole thing. So it doesn't matter who your name is. Your name could be Mike Piazza, Roger Clemens, Francisco Lindor, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. We could go through the laundry list of players that have been booed here in New York, especially when it comes to baseball. But if you don't win, and especially if you produce the way you did in the regular season, not that we're expecting a carbon copy of that, but we want something close to that, as I mentioned on the podcast weeks ago, And because you didn't get that, of course the fans are going to express their displeasure over that. But you got to wonder whether or not if word goes around to other players that maybe want to come to the Yankees, they may tell them, "Uh uh-uh, don't come here because these fans are just too fickle. They want everything and anything in one shot. 
whatever that they may convey to their fellow brethren. So I found that story fascinating, which was captured by Andy Martino, SNY, here in New York. And then two other quickies. It looks like you're going to have Brian Cashman back because it's been reported Hal Steinbrenner has officially said that manager Aaron Boone's coming back. And of course he's going to say it because he has to still pay him for three more years on top of that. Now you would only hope that Hal Steinbrenner maybe has just a tinge of regret knowing that I have to deal with this for another three more years. And maybe moving forward that that could change his thought process on signing managers to long-term deals, which he also has to deal with his own general manager for all intents and purposes, some of the rumblings is that Brian Cashman, the GM of the team currently, is going to come back for how long it remains to be seen. But I would think if Hal Steinbrenner knows that he has to sit with three more years for this manager, he's probably going to have to put Cashman for three more years or at least two years with a team option after that. So, got to keep that in mind. And as I said on Monday, if I'm Hal Steinbrenner, I'm not bringing him back. But I understand the GM sometimes is tied to the manager. So that's something that he's going to have to deal with here over the course of the next few years, if that's the case. And finally, with baseball, before I move on, and I didn't mention this the other day, and my bad, hand raised high in the air. Why did the Yankees decide to put a video together to show the current Yankee squad after being down 3-0 to the Astros a video or a montage of the 2004 Red Sox to show to the team how, hey guys, let's do what the Red Sox did. We can do it. Whatever message that was put across there by that video, by the hierarchy of the team, management, maybe even the manager for that matter, who knows. But boy, talk about a bad optic. And again, because I had so much to say about the Yankees and their offseason and etc., it slipped my mind. But boy, you talk about reaching. Why would they even think about putting out a video of what took place 18 years ago where the players don't even care and probably half of the players don't even know that that happened. And on top of that, to think that that was going to actually work or actually be of some sort of motivation that the Giancarlo Stantons of the world, the Gleyber Torreses of the world, guys like that were going to look at that and say, yeah, 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 oh, please. That was just a terrible gesture, whatever you want to call it. And obviously, that really worked well to the tune where they got swept. And I'm sure wherever that video is, is somewhere in the garbage. Where it should have belonged in the first place because why they did that is beyond me. So now I'll turn my attention to the NFL as we have a week eight on the horizon where the schedule will start tonight down in Tampa between the Ravens and Buccaneers. And this is a huge game for Tampa. I could almost see them coming out like gangbusters to start because with everything that has transpired with this team, especially over the last three weeks, I mean, think about this. For them to go through the ringer the way they have, similar to Green Bay, and we talked about this on Monday, but for them to lose in Pittsburgh the way they did, and you would think that, how could it get worse after that? A Steeler team that had lost four straight games, they started a rookie quarterback, and then to come save the day was the backup, and one Mitchell Trubisky, where obviously he didn't set the world on fire when he was the starting quarterback to kick off the year. They go to Carolina and they didn't even put up a touchdown. So you would think that this week, and even though it's a short week, and with Baltimore coming in after beating Cleveland, that not to say that this is going to be the cure or the panacea for this team to get back in the win column, but I would think with Baltimore not being able to finish games, more so at home than on the road, and even though they have 
a little bit of momentum with Gus Edwards in the backfield to go along with Lamar Jackson and how they could possibly run on that Tampa defense, although that Tampa defense has been stout and the defense has leaked over the past couple of weeks. But you would think Tampa will have just enough to beat Baltimore, I would think. Would I be surprised if Baltimore wins? Absolutely not. But usually these Thursday night games will favor the home team. So I would think Tampa will get themselves back right at the ship. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come out crisp, ready to go, and see if they could come out victorious to kind of snap this little funk that they're in and get themselves back to 500. As far as the Sunday slate goes, some quick storylines or newsworthy items with the Indianapolis Colts who will host the Washington football team or the Commanders. Matt Ryan is not going to be in uniform for the rest of the year. He suffered a separated shoulder in the game against Tennessee, but it had been announced by the quarterback Frank Reich that they're going to start Sam Ellinger for the rest of this regular season where Matt Ryan was surprised, shocked, unexpected, and somewhat blindsided that this decision came down. And Matt Ryan, I'm sure this experiment, a lot of people thought would have changed the scenery being in Indianapolis with some of the weapons that they had and a stout offensive line, which a lot of people thought was going to hold up Matt Ryan, and that wasn't the case. And the Colts are going to go in a different direction to see what Ellinger could give them because they think that maybe he could be the long-term answer. We knew that Ryan was going to be a stopgap guy, not necessarily six games or seven games into his Colt career, but be that as it may, you're going to see Ellinger go the rest of this way and... I'm sure you're probably going to see Matt Ryan at some point unless Ellinger lights the world on fire. But unless his shoulder separation, he's probably going to be out for quite some time. I would think off the top of my head, maybe the rest of the season when you think about a separated shoulder and I believe it was his throwing arm. So Ellinger, let's see what he does against Washington. But the other news that came down a couple of days ago, really yesterday, was the Monday night fiasco where the Bears just ran all over the Patriots and where Mac Jones started and did not look good. And then you bring in Bailey Zappi. And yes, he gave you a little bit of life there, but then obviously that didn't work out. And you had this back and forth to the point where you were surprised that Bill Belichick actually implemented this throughout the course of the game. Because when we look at quarterbacks, if you have two and you're you're playing two at the same time, chances are you don't have any quarterbacks. And I'm sure he tried to throw it at the wall to see what would stick. But he's going to go back to Mac Jones this Sunday against the Jets out at MetLife. Mac Jones, who had that high ankle sprain and came off of a pretty successful rookie season. But it's not gone smoothly for him in year two. A little sophomore jinx, if you will. And now he has a big start here against the Jet team that does not have their running back. Although they did trade for James Robinson, the former Jaguar running back. So hopefully they could plug him in and produce... Maybe not as much, but close to what Brees Hall did, who's out for the rest of the year with an ACL. And you also have Elijah Vera Tucker, who is out for the rest of the season with a torn tricep, or I believe it's a bicep. So you have a key member of your backfield and offensive line that are going to be out for Zach Wilson, who has not put up big numbers, who's pretty much just managed the game. And now he's probably going to have to do a little bit more with your big offensive lineman out and even with another running back coming in. It's going to be interesting to see how they perform this week against the Patriots team, who obviously has been their nemesis for the last decade plus, ever since that playoff game that the Jets won under Mark Sanchez in the divisional playoff back in 2010. 
And then you had a trade where Robert Quinn went from the Bears to the Eagles. So talk about the rich getting richer. Quinn, who has been a very good defensive lineman over the years, whether it was in L.A. with the Rams, and I believe he had a year in Dallas before he went to the Bears. So let's see what he does along with Fletcher Cox and company to see what the Eagles could do as they'll host the Steelers this week where the Steelers come in at 2-4 and four, and, well, I'm sure it's going to wreak havoc against the rookie quarterback and that offensive line. So we'll have to see how that goes. But a lot of the games this weekend or this Sunday... Not a lot. You have another London game where the Broncos will play against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who obviously that's their annual trip to London. Not a sexy matchup. This is a game at 9.30 in the morning where I'm sure even the die-in-the-wool NFL fan, yeah, they'll probably turn it on. But if you ask me, when I wake up, that's the last thing I'm going to turn on and watch because Russell Wilson, although coming off of the hamstring, he said he's going to play and he's ready to go. But this is probably going to be another one of those low-scoring 17-13, 19-17 type of games. Who would have thought that Carolina and Atlanta is going to be not a game you're going to circle, but with the Panthers just a game behind both Tampa and Atlanta for first place, and we'll see what Tampa does tonight. If they happen to lose, they'll fall back in the race, and this could be a matchup for first place when you really think about it because... If Tampa somehow, someway goes to 3-5, and five, and if Atlanta wins, they'll have first place to themselves. But if Carolina wins, then you're going to have three teams at 3-5 and five at the top of the division where you'll have New Orleans hosting Las Vegas this week. And if New Orleans happens to win, and if everything, the stars, moon, sky, etc. is all aligned, you could possibly have Four teams in the NFC South with the same record at 3-5, and five, all tied for first place. That just goes to show you how that division may end up turning out when it's all said and done. So even though that's far from a marquee game, even though that's far from a game that people are going to watch and see what happens, but if Tampa does lose tonight, you're going to have those teams in the NFC South raring to go to see who's going to take over first place by... 4 o'clock or 4.15 Sunday afternoon. Some of your other games, as far as the highlight games, there's no 1 o'clock game that I'm going to go crazy about. Chicago at Dallas. Miami at Detroit. Tennessee at Houston. Well, that's a 4 o'clock game. But still, Tennessee at Houston. San Francisco at the LA Rams coming off of a bye. Let's see how they respond against San Francisco. New York at Seattle. Seattle has played well, and the Giants have, as we've seen, 6-1. and one. Kudos to Brian Dable and company. Your Sunday night game, where you looked at it in the beginning of the season, and you were probably thinking this could be a Super Bowl preview. Far from it right now, where Green Bay goes to Buffalo. And then your Monday night game is Cincinnati at Cleveland. By any means, this is not a good Week 8 schedule. And your two bye teams are the Chargers and Chiefs. Oof, this is going to be tough sledding here for week eight. And the same could pretty much be said in college football, although people may be geeked up about Ohio State going to Penn State. Penn State, as we saw earlier, went to Michigan and got blown out. And even though Penn State's ranked 13th in the country, I think Ohio State should take care of them. I know that Penn State, 
they're going to look at this game if they have any, any chance of being part of the college football playoff discussion. They have to win this game. And I'm sure the Wolverine fans and the administration there in Ann Arbor, they are hoping and praying that Penn State can pull off an upset because that will certainly lead the way for Michigan to really control their own fate when it comes to the college football playoff because if they happen to beat Ohio State, they'll be in no matter what, but then they won't have to face or even think about Ohio State because they'll have two losses under their belt and they'll be out of the playoff picture altogether. But again, with Ohio State hosting that game in Columbus the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and even if Ohio State were to lose this game to Penn State, if they beat Michigan, chances are Ohio State will make it into the playoff and Michigan will be on the outside looking in, depending on, of course, what else happens. Does Tennessee beat Georgia? Does Tennessee beat Alabama again if they just so happen to meet up in a, an SEC championship or if Georgia and Alabama meet up? Obviously, there are a lot of permutations that would have to unfold and take place, but let's see if Penn State could pull off the upset. I don't think they will. But stranger things could happen. Other than that, you got nothing much on this docket here. Are you going to get crazy about Florida and Georgia? The game is in Georgia, in Athens. So could Florida be at least competitive in this game? I think they can. But Georgia, I think, would be in control and will take care of the Gators. Okie State at Kansas State. Wake Forest is in the top 10 right now. They're at Louisville. As we go on down the list, Kentucky at Tennessee. Kentucky's ranked 19th in the country, as we know. And other than that, that's all you got cooking. A rivalry game, Michigan State at Michigan. That's it. Nothing else to sneeze at. I know the following week you have the Tennessee-Georgia game. That's going to be the highlight of the weekend by far. And of course, we'll touch on that next time we go around. But college football, not much there. As far as the schedule goes, and the NFL pretty much the same. So let me pivot to the NBA. I'll get to that right now as we're a little bit more than a week into this season. And not to get crazy. Not to think that what has taken place here over the first eight days means that the sky is falling in certain cities or that they're starting to print up the NBA's final tickets in another town or city whichever one that may be, whether you're in Utah or Portland, who finally lost last night to the Heat, I might add, and the Heat blew them out in Portland. So they got their first loss of the year. And Damian Lillard had to leave because of a calf injury. So I'm sure that played a big part in why the Heat were victorious up in the Pacific Northwest. So one more time, this isn't the end-all, be-all, just nine days into an NBA season. But you really have to wonder what is going on in LA in particular, especially with the Lakers, and to a certain degree, even in Brooklyn. And I get it, these are two teams that are always going to get the pub, that they're always going to be front and center when it comes to news, whether they're doing great, good, bad, or worse. Because these teams are never anywhere in between. And... I'll start with the Lakers quick because we've talked about this last week of what LeBron said about the team doesn't have 40% three-point shooters and pretty much taking a shot at his team and his teammates. And then what we've seen here with Russell Westbrook, him having to come off the bench or him being benched in the final 
couple of minutes of these games to where the coach and rookie coach Darvin Ham has come out and said, I don't care about people's feelings. We're trying to win games. That's what it's all about. And he's right. And then Westbrook, I believe, had to leave the game with an injury there last night as they lost to Denver and are now 0-4. And you have to wonder, I talked about this weeks ago. I know I keep saying check the receipts, especially when it came to Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook, how that marriage and everything that they've had to endure over the years as rivals now being a part of this team. And it's not about them, per se, but if this season somehow, some way gets to a point where they dig themselves so deep of a hole that they can't get out of, and the only thing that the Laker team could really look forward to is LeBron breaking the all-time scoring record held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. If that's going to be the case, you have to wonder whether or not the, if this team's going to make wholesale changes on the fly. And I get it. We're four games in. I get it. It's not to get crazy, outlandish, to think that the sky is falling and the season is over for the Lakers. But this 0-4 start has to be ominous, not only to the fan base, but to the organization as well. Because this team, even as bad as they were last year, and even with whatever expectations they had going into this year, I'm sure nobody thought that they would start their season 0-4. And I understand it's been a tough slate where you have to go up the coast to play Golden State during their ring ceremony. Or the Nuggets, as they did last night. Or even a Clipper team that obviously a lot is expected from them. Or to play Portland... And for whatever the reason, and obviously I didn't watch the game, but for whatever the reason, they didn't come out victorious against a team that I think is going to be an under at 39.5 when it's all said and done. So I understand the schedule's been a little tricky to start. But they still have the Lakers. They still have LeBron. They still have AD. They still have a talent, and they still have players that have resumes. And I understand resumes aren't going to win games. You still have to go out and perform 1,000%. But 0-4 could be 0-5, 0-6, 1-8, 2-10, 4-13, 4-13, And even if I take a look at their schedule here, where, again, we can't get crazy, I understand, but this is why I have this platform, and I'm sure there are countless other people that are talking about it. And trust me, I don't want to talk about the Lakers, because I'm sure a lot of people don't care. But they go to Minnesota... Friday, they play Denver at home, an upstart New Orleans team where we have to see Zion and Brandon Ingram come back. Then Utah, they're 4-1 and one and gotten off to a great start. And they host Cleveland, so they have a four-game, really a five-game, no, four-game homestand coming up. But when are they going to get these victories? And you can't dig yourself too deep of a hole to get out of, and I get it that there is a playing tournament and they could be 8th or ninth in the conference and still make it understood. But you have to wonder whether or not this team is going to not only just gel, but also click at the same time. And the same could be said for the Brooklyn Nets. And we know Simmons, for whatever the reason, has not been able to own his craft to the point where he's he could become a decent shooter. But we know that He's going to be there mostly for his defense, rebounding, transition, pushing the ball up the court, and half-court offense is not his forte. Every time the Nets have a possession in their side of the court, it's four on five. 
And I'm sure Ben Simmons is cool with that. But for one of your teammates, and obviously one of your top teammates in Kyrie Irving, to come out to say, hey, shoot the ball, my man. That says a lot. It says a lot about his confidence. It even says a little bit about the confidence that his teammates have in him. Because despite the fact that you have two all-time offensive players on your team, he has to contribute in some way. And not just attacking the basket, not just trying to get to the free throw line, which we know he's a nightmare on the charity stripe, but he's going to have to try to make a turnaround jumper or at least a floater in the lane or maybe even a shot at the elbow or an 18-footer. We're not expecting him to drain threes from behind the arc like Steph Curry, but Simmons is going to have to snap out of it despite the fact that whatever his duty is to be on that court, whether it's defensively, the glass, or just pushing the ball up during a fast break, he's going to have to contribute a little bit more than that. And look at this, it's game four, and the Nets are one and three, to where they lost to Zion and company in game one, they lost to the Grizzlies a couple of nights ago, sandwiched by a win at home against Toronto, to where you saw John Morant bait Ben Simmons into getting a sixth foul, and even though you could question that 100%, but if you watched any of the highlights, That was a little bit of payback for what happened a few years prior in Philadelphia to where Morant had the ball and he was a little bit lackadaisical and it was toward the end of the half, I believe, but then Ben Simmons was able to strip the ball and go in for a dunk and Morant put that in the back of his mind at that point to where Simmons had to reach in or bump him for a foul, got him tossed, and that was poetic justice for the young Grizzly player. And then they lose to the Bucks last night and where you had, like I mentioned, Kyrie telling Simmons to shoot the ball, but then in the postgame was defending his teammate. And I understand which way is it? Is it you want him to shoot and you're going to not be on top of him, but you're going to convey your message, but then at the same time defend him? Now, of course, heat of the moment is going to be different from coming off of a game where you're going to be in the post-game presser and you're going to defend your teammate no matter what. But... This is what you have here in Brooklyn, a scenario where expectations, you have a ton of talent, and with everything that has transpired over the last couple of years with this team, and knowing that it's all in the past, you have to move on, you have to be for today, and what's going to bring tomorrow, but a 1-3 and start, and another tricky schedule to begin with, but I'm sure that's the last thing that the Brooklyn Nets were not only just hoping for, but were expecting to get themselves out of the gate, stumbling, bumbling, and fumbling to the point where now the press and a lot of these questions are going to be rearing up from all different angles and the soap opera may continue here for this upcoming season. Because as we all know, when you're winning, everything is great. You can answer all the questions in the world, everything is smooth, coconuts and palm trees, but once there's a little speed bump or dare I even say a bit of adversity, it's a whole different story. So I hate to pin this first week on those two teams because we should highlight some of the other teams that have done well. I did mention the Utah Jazz as well as the Blazers, both at 4-1. and I also look at the Bucs. They're the last undefeated team, 3-0 in the sport. Cavs are 3-1 and and they're waiting for Darius Garland to come back. Knicks are 3-1, and break up the Knicks. So the Wiz, the Hawks have gone off to good starts. And again, we're just four or five games into the season. So we can't get crazy, 
But I understand those two teams in particular, Lakers, Nets, going back for the last couple of years, they are going to be the lightning rods for the sport. And the news, whatever news that's going to come out of it, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, as I mentioned before, they are always going to be front and center when it comes to the news cycle in the NBA. And that's what you have here in this first week. Quickly with the NHL, we have a new Iron Man, and I understand it could be, I don't want to say a bit of a damper, because anytime a hockey player could play in 990 consecutive games, as we saw with the Vegas Golden Knights' Phil Kessel, who in that record-breaking game scored his 400th career goal against the San Jose Sharks. So congratulations to him. That is an achievement that was long-standing for many years that was held by the old Washington Capitol forward Doug Jarvis. I believe it was 918 games, if I'm not mistaken. I could be off a game or two. And that was broken by the the former defenseman Keith Yandel, who had played on a bunch of teams, predominantly for the Arizona Coyotes, but he also played for the Rangers. He did break the record of Doug Jarvis with the Flyers just last year. Well, I believe it was 2021. No, I think it was just this past year. And then that was it for Yandel. And even though Phil Kessel was breathing down his neck for this record, but it's almost a thing where, wait a minute, wasn't this record just broken? Now it's broken again? So it didn't really stand that long. It didn't really carry a lot of weight. And who knows who's next on the list? I probably should have looked that up prior to. Maybe there's another player that's just, whatever, 40, 50, 60 games behind it that could maybe surpass him in the next year or two. Who knows? But congratulations to Kessel. I don't want to throw ice cold water on uh, this achievement because it is remarkable to say the least. So congratulations to him. And the NHL so far, I was happy to see the Islanders shut out the Rangers last night. That was good. But when we look at the sport overall, Bruins have gotten off to a great start. They're 6-1, flying high. So kudos to them, especially when they brought back their two key components for many years going back to their Cup win a decade ago in a Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. The Golden Knights have also played very well. As, like I mentioned, they beat San Jose there a couple nights ago. What you have here with the sport, just like with the NBA, only because with the weekend and with those storylines with the Lakers and Nets, obviously hockey's not going to have that same panache. It's not going to have that same buzz. Colorado, the Avalanche, are actually here in the New York area where they beat the Rangers the other night and their former goaltender who was traded where the Avalanche, they needed the goaltender in the worst way when we looked at what happened during their cup run. But by them bringing in Alexander Gorgiev and for him to win at the Garden 3-2 to two the other night and was just ecstatic, pumping his fist, sticking it to his former team, The Avalanche will play the Devils tomorrow before playing the Islanders on Saturday. So if you're in the area here in the tri-state New York, New Jersey area, go see the Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champion. And with that being said, a lot of the sport not going to have the same appeal or the mass appeal that the NBA will have. And of course, they're just two weeks into their season or a little bit more than two weeks into their season. But again, it's not going to have the same flair. And when I take a look at the standings as I just did, other than the Bruins, even the Vegas Golden Knights, Tampa Bay has righted the ship. Remember, they were 1-3 at this time last week. They're now 4-4. Four and four. So all is right in Tampa by what they've done. But other than that, 
Way too early to tell as to what's going to happen with this season. The Rangers have gotten off to a little bit of a slow start there. They're 3-3-2 as they've actually lost four in a row. So Rangers have hit the skids here a bit. But that's pretty much what you have with the NHL. No other news or notes really to dissect or digest here as we get into the weekend. But obviously a lot going on in sports with the World Series kicking off tomorrow. And you know that come Monday I'll recap it all and put it to you on a nice silver platter for you to digest here as we look forward to the weekend and what transpires in the world of sports. That'll do it, my good people. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate all of your support as always. Thank you for giving your boy a listen as I babble about what goes on in the wonderful world of the sports universe. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your pods. Throw me a few stars, write a review. Let's increase the visibility, as I like to say, just to get the word out. Take a screenshot, share it with me on social media, which will be Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels one just a number. And if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to the J Reels Podcast on Patreon. So that's P is and Paul, A T is and Tom, R E O N is and Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast, whatever you want to put forth. One more time, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, it's in every fiber of my being, talking about sports, dissecting sports in every way, shape, or fashion, whether it's on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.